Well, it is such a delight to see all of you here this morning. If you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. And as you do, I want to tell you, if if you want one verse in the Bible that I could guarantee that if you live it out, it will drastically improve your relationships, it will make you more mature, you're going to have far greater joy in your life. In fact, your life will be much more worshipful if you could actually just live out one verse, that verse would be Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. You cannot underscore enough the importance of this text. This verse, this singular verse, is filled with unimaginable blessing. Now, we covered it a couple weeks ago as part of a larger text and a larger passage, but today we're going to focus just on this one verse because it is like nuclear fission, okay? Okay. It has the potential of such great strength, great power. There has been a chain reaction from the time that Jesus uttered these words that affects us even today from this one verse. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law of and the prophets. I had a guy a couple of weeks ago tell me, I have spent my whole life trying to live out this verse. And it's no surprise. I mean, if you look at his demeanor, you look at his relationships and how he handles himself, he exemplifies this. You see, this verse, this particular singular verse, set in motion a chain reaction for love motivated lives. And how does Jesus develop love-motivated lives among his kingdom citizens? Well, I want to just you to take a close look. First of all, look at the practice that we are to follow. I know this is super familiar. Most of us could probably quote at least some of it, right? But look at the first part of this verse. This is our practice in everything. Big word, right? All-encompassing. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Pretty simple. This particular verse is the like the Mount Everest of ethics, okay? It is the epitome of ethical instruction. You will find it in most world religions and uh, philosophical foundations. You're going to find a version of this, but what's rather interesting is that they're all in the negative. Like, don't do this, okay? But Jesus states it in the positive. The reason it is the golden rule, it is the apex of ethical instruction, is because Jesus infuses it with life because it is to be proactive. We're not just to uh, prevent ourselves or try to inhibit negative behavior or harming people. On the converse, we not only don't want to hurt people, we want to help them. We want to be a blessing. We are to do, as the text says, to treat people in the same way we would want to be treated. And until you really dive into the gospel... You really are committed to following Jesus in his words. What happens is you end up living a rather self-centered, self-absorbed life. Jesus intends to change all of that. You and I are taking our cues from Christ, right? He's our king. 
right now, we live in a culture that is seeking to silence us, right? We don't really want to hear from Christians. Uh, The government is going to amp it up. But we're not following the government. We're not following the culture. Who are we following? Who are you following? Really? So then we take our cues from him. And what does he tell us? I want you to treat people in the same manner you would want to be treated. Do you know that far more people have been brought to know the Savior in a personal way, not just about him, but to actually know him personally, through the kindness and the proactive love and treatment of other Christians than through, than through uh, apologetics or giving a great defense of the faith. It's relationship. I mean, don't get me wrong. Giving a defense of the faith, that's what apologetics is. That's really important. In fact, I'm going through it with a guy, walking through the basis of the Christian faith. But what really brings people to a saving knowledge of Jesus is Christians living the faith out, presenting the gospel, speaking the words, and showing what it looks like in a human life. The famous 20th century automotive executive, Lee Iacocca, on one occasion had an opportunity to talk with Vince Lombardi, the great uh, football coach, Green Bay Packers, and he asked him this question, what does it take to make a winning team. Ayakoka writes about it in his autobiography, and he talks about this meeting that he has with Vince Lombardi when he asks him, what does it take to have a winning team? Listen to what Lombardi said. He said, there are a lot of coaches with good ball clubs who know the fundamentals and have plenty of discipline, but still don't win the game. Then you come to the third ingredient. If you're going to play together as a team, You've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has to be thinking about the next guy and saying to himself, if I don't block that man, Paul is going to get his legs broken. I have to do my job well in order that he can do his. The difference between mediocrity and greatness is the feeling these guys have for each other. Friends, this is our practice, to treat people in the same way that we would want to be treated. You know, when we do this, let me tell you some things that happen. Our testimony all of a sudden becomes compelling. We're not just people that have a belief system that we kind of like, yeah, I I kind of agree with that. No, we live it out. People are compelled by that kind of faith. Me coming to Christ was because I saw genuine Christians living it out. But then, you know, I tell you what, when we live out this verse, our church thrives. Every church thrives when people move away from self-absorption to actually treating people in the same way they would like to be treated. It's pretty easy, right? I mean, you're encountering, you meet someone, and you're like, well, what do I do with them? Well, treat them the way you would want to be treated. You see a need, an opportunity, how would you like to be responded to or cared for? Well, try that. See how that'll work. I mean, you're going to be amazed at what takes place. But furthermore, God is worshipped when we live out his word. So friends, how does Christ develop a love-motivated set of believers? He does so by actually us following this practice of treating one another in the same way we would want to be treated. 
But there is something else to this verse, and this is the part that is almost always forgotten. I'm sure if you ask people, are you familiar with this verse? They were familiar with the first part, but I have rarely heard people actually quote the second part. And that's what Jesus drives at here, because this is not only a practice we follow, but there is a purpose that we fulfill. Look at the text. He says, verse 12, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, this is the heart and soul of the Old Testament. This is the fulfillment. This is what we are to do. Now, is Jesus saying, like, all you have to do is be a good person and be nice to people and treat them the way you want to be treated, and you have fulfilled the law and the prophets, you are fine with God. Is that what he's driving at? Because there are millions of people that think that being a Christian is just being a nice person and doing some good things. Is that the gospel? The gospel is just be nice, do good things? Are we really able to treat people in the same way, manner that we want to be treated? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I am not doing so well there. I wish I could say, oh, yeah, I'm 100% there, but no, 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 no. That's not the case. You see, the law can never save Right? Romans 3, 20, it says, Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, through, because for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So that the law says, like, to love one another. But the reality is that we oftentimes don't love one another, right? And so what does the law do? It shows that we are depraved. We have missed the mark. We are sinners by nature. We need a Savior. And so what Jesus does Jesus Christ fulfills the law for us and then through us. Please don't ever forget that. Jesus Christ fulfills the law for us and then through us. Because you remember earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this radical statement, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. When Jesus shows up and he's starting his public ministry and all these people are coming to him, he says, don't think that I'm like, you know, all the Old Testament law, all the prophets, we're, we're just, we're kind of done with that. I'm starting something new here. No, he says, no, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it in full. Everything that the law requires, every jot, every tittle, every statement, I am the absolute perfect fulfillment. I came to do this so that I can offer perfect righteousness. And I'm going to give my righteousness to those who believe in me. Sinners who are trusting in Christ receive the righteousness of him. That's what makes us saved. That's what makes us rescued because we've entered into relationship with Christ and his righteousness is put on our account. But God who has saved us and called us and declared us righteous by virtue of the finished work of Jesus, he who has become righteousness for us intends to fulfill the law in us. Albeit imperfectly, we who are in relationship with Christ are called to live out the word. And that's exactly what you see. So for instance, later on, in Matthew chapter 22, right before Jesus goes to the cross, they're trying to get Jesus to slip up, to make a, a misstatement so they can nail him. 
And so on one occasion, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 35, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Okay, this was a test. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You see, God intends that we would live out his word. It's not that he just gives us salvation in Christ. We are called into his kingdom, called into relationship with Christ. We are following him and his word. He intends for us to live out the word, and we do so in his strength. So you see this developed in the New Testament, like in the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 22, James writes this, But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You see, relationship with Christ is to lead to responding to his word. Or he goes on to say, like in verse 25, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. What does that word abide mean? Live. Who lives in it? Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So you see, God has given his word. We are to not just listen to it. We're to heed it and follow it and to actually put it in action in our lives. For instance, if you're reading this text and you just walk out of those doors and it just like evaporates, you have missed the full intent of what God intends. He wants us to fulfill the purpose of living out his word. And so James, if you just kind of keep reading, what do you think he talks about? The exact same statement that Jesus is speaking of here. James chapter 2, verse 8, he says, if, however, you're fulfilling the royal law, that could be translated the law of the king, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. This is the royal law, the law of the king, that we love one another. We treat people in the same way we would want others to treat us. You see, a Christ-centered life is a love-motivated life. You know, this statement that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it's like an acorn, and the New Testament develops it where it becomes kind of like an oak tree. I don't know if you've got this, but I've got these two large oak trees in my front yard, and they've dropped all these acorns, and it's kind of interesting, but like some of these acorns, they actually start little oak trees, okay? And they're, whoop, they're just kind of growing up there. And I'm, I'm actually picking them up because I really don't want my yard filled like to be like a forest, okay? But if I left them, they would grow up to be oak trees, and they're off to a good start. The acorns, the themes that Jesus introduces in the Gospels are developed in the New Testament, where they're given a fuller explanation. They're giving uh, what all that is intended. You see an example of this in James. Let me give you another example in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. 
It says, for this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So in Romans 13, Jesus starts, uh, excuse me, the apostle Paul is highlighting some of the Ten Commandments, the social aspects. He's given specifically the 7th, 6th, 8th, and 10th. He says we're not to commit adultery, not to murder, not to steal, not to covet. Why is that? Because love doesn't commit adultery, right? Oh, I know. We're living in a day and age where it's all about following your heart, right? And you got these folks, and it's, it's glamorized in all these shows, and it's being played out in society over and over again. I just had to follow my heart. I was just so in love, and I'd fallen out of love over here, and so I'm in love over here. And this, with this person right here, that's not love. That is against the royal law of love. Or, for instance, love cannot murder. Love cannot deprive a person of his or her possessions. Love is not envious of the blessings of others. You see, love and sin can't coexist at the exact same time. And why does God have the Apostle Paul right in bringing up the Ten Commandments? Is God just trying to, like, stifle us so we don't have any fun, right? Is that what's going on here? No. The reason that God gives the law, the law is pointing the way, this is how to live. It not only shows us how to live, but it keeps us from harm, harming ourselves, harming others, harming the glory of God through our behavior. But that's on the negative side, but on the positive side. By following the law, it's how we experience joy in Christ, how we give testimony of the living God working in our midst It's how we bring worship to God. And so that's why God has given us the law. And what what he requires, the Spirit inspires. You and I can't do this on our own. So God gives us his Holy Spirit so that we read the word and that we are able, albeit imperfectly, to do it. If you are a Christian, when you hear Jesus say, we are to treat people in the same manner as we would want to be treated, There is something in you, it's the Spirit of God working in your soul to say, I want to do this. I want to live like this because this is what God is calling for. But I want you to see that it's always tied to his word. Remember when Jesus was asked, you know, who his mother and brother and sisters were? Remember what he said? Matthew chapter 12, it's the last verse. The one who does the will of my father is the one who is my mother, brother, and sister. Those who are really in relationship with Christ, we do his word, and we do it in his strength. Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, a woman that I've got tremendous amount of respect for. I've learned a lot from her. In fact, I, last night I was watching a couple of her talks. I mean, this, this woman at age 17, you know, she's paralyzed, this great athlete, and, and she's lived through all sorts of just great difficulty and continues to do so. But I'll tell you, in the midst of all of her challenges and difficulties, learning to love and live in the love of the Savior has made her a very, very deep person. 
And when she speaks, she oftentimes has some very profound things to say. Let me give you one of them on this subject. She says this, always love is a choice. You come against, up against scores of opportunities every day to love or not to love. You encounter hundreds of small chances to please your friends, delight your Lord, and encourage your family. That's why love and obedience are intimately linked. You can't have one without the other. You see that? Love and obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to the word. Obedience to the king. They are directly tied. And see, what God does with love is love makes us more like Jesus. I want to take this just a little bit deeper for you. It is when we hear God's word and respond to it in his strength that God actually makes us more like his son. So we see opportunities to control our temper, to take responsibility for our actions, actually forgive, take the next steps, see a need, respond to it, find out that we've got a voice and we can give words of encouragement, help. We can truly come alongside individuals When we love, when we treat other people in the same way that we would like to be treated, what happens is God brings about growth and transformation in our lives. But I'll tell you, we got a lot of failure. And our failure and our insecurities and our fear oftentimes paralyze us, right? And so we like, I've I've tried that or I really messed that up or I'm afraid. I don't know if this is going to be taken right. This makes me feel uncomfortable. And so what happens is we cease listening to the king. And if that's your situation, you have stunted your growth. Because as we learn to love, we see the Savior loving. We are experiencing God's love. We start showing that love. We grow. You know, I got a lot of failure when it comes to this verse, treating people in the same way uh, I would want to be treated. I mean, just even yesterday, I had some really good moments, and I thought about this verse, uh, and I I actually did things like, I think, in this situation, this is how I'd want to be treated. But there were some other times, like, I could have done it, but like, oh, you know, I think I'll just pass, you know? And like, why am I doing that? I have a lot of failure. But you know, that's the beauty of the gospel. You see, we just keep coming back to Christ. We're not perfect. He's perfect. He's fulfilled the law. I come back with repentance, and he gives me forgiveness, and I move forward. I'm imperfect, but he's the perfect one. I've been brought into his family, and he is shaping me to be in the image of Jesus. Even in my failures, he gives great grace. See, Jesus Christ fulfills the law for us, and then through us. So friends, treat people in the same manner that you would want to be treated. In the early 1980s, there was a woman by the name of Patty Davis. Davis, She was passionately opposed to nuclear arms and the nuclear arsenal buildups that were taking place, especially in the United States. She was highly critical of the Reagan administration and his presidency and his policies when it came to nuclear development. Now, there were a lot of protesters in the 1980s, and I think some of you might even remember what that looked like. 
uh, all about world peace and all very much against any sort of nuclear development. Patty was one of them, but she was unique in that uh, she wasn't just any just demonstrator. Her dad was Ronald Reagan, and it was an all-out attack. Her, Patty's mother was absolutely appalled by her behavior. She saw this as a direct affront to her dad. Writing about her father in January 2012 in a magazine called Town and Country, Patty admits that she chose the more militant path, and she knew that her actions were speaking louder than her words. But in a very transparent article, she talks about some pretty deep regrets. She said, I was a child railing against a parent, nothing more. I was at war with my father. One of her biggest regrets was that her dad apparently made multiple attempts to just, hey, let's just sit down and let's talk. I want to hear more. I, I want to understand. You're my daughter. But on every single attempt that her dad made to engage her, she just wrote him off. She said, huh, I already know your side, and I'm not interested. Another huge regret that she writes of in this article took place at the Rose Bowl Coliseum, 1982. They had packed it out with 100,000 people that were uh, protesting against nuclear arsenal development and protesting against the Reagan administration. And one of the speakers was none other than Patty Davis. Now, Patty Davis on multiple occasions said, hey, this isn't personal, but it was. On this event at the Rose Bowl, before Patty gets up to speak, they all start chanting, get a new president, get a new president, a hundred thousand pounding, yelling, angry voices. And she said, with every fiber of my being, I knew that I should not get up and speak. And yet she did. And she said, you know, no one ever remembers my speech they just remember that I stood up and gave a speech when they were calling for the resignation of my dad. Later in life, she writes that after her father had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, she said, quote, I would look into my father's eyes and try to reach past the murkiness of Alzheimer's with my words, my apology, hoping that in his heart, he heard me and understood. And she concludes her article with these statements, and I want you to listen really closely. I wish that now, all those years ago, I had led with kindness, not with ideological stridency. We are, after all, remembered in the end for how we treat others. Mm. We are, after all, remembered for how we treat others. Jesus says, treat people in the same way you would want to be treated. This is the law and the prophets. 
So let me give you a few tips on treating people well. A couple of weeks ago when we covered this verse as part of a larger passage, I gave you this. You've got to have alignment. Your heart needs to be right with God. Alignment probably is a daily priority, okay? It has to be for me. I'm, I'm easily off track. I need alignment with God. You also need awareness to the opportunities. You need to be looking. But then, remember the third one was action. Under the power of the Spirit, trusting God, you need to be proactive. Take some steps. So here's just some tips. Take the initiative and be proactive. Don't be deterred by your insecurities and your fears and your failures. Okay, we're following the king. He's given you his Holy Spirit. I can assure you, you can take steps of advancement and growth. Take the initiative. Don't always be a responder in life. No, he's called you to follow him. He's commanded you. Take the initiative. Here's another. Put yourself in another's shoes. Ask this question. How, how would I like to be treated if this was my circumstance or my failure or my problem or in this situation or my opportunity? How would I like to be treated? And once you've got just a little bit of clarity on that, why don't you try that? I mean, really, all it takes is about 10 seconds of prayer. God, how, how would I want to be treated? Huh. And then just do that. Here's another question to ask. How can I bring love to this situation? How can I bring love to this situation? Ask God. He'll give you some ideas. Give it a shot, right? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Here's another tip. You want to learn to give a lot of grace. Don't make quick judgments on people. Give folks the benefit of the doubt. Everybody is going to have a misstep here and there, okay? If you're like, oh, I saw you made the wrong decision. Oh, you said that over there? We're done. We're, we've canceled you. We're, I'm, I'm through with you. You made a mistake. No, 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 no. Think of all the mistakes that you've made, right? What would it be like if we just canceled everybody? Well, the first time they made a mistake, we would be living in isolation. Our whole life would be a Cold War zone, and maybe that is your reality. Do this. Give a lot of grace. God's giving you tremendous amounts of grace. You'll find that your life is freed up. You actually really start enjoying people. And we're all going to step on each other's toes every once in a while. And let grace and truth guide your thinking and your conversations. Grace and truth. Let it guide your conversations and how you think. Be a person that deals with facts, not just feelings all the time, okay? Feelings are good, but they are a terrible guide for life. Focus on the facts. Ask God to help you to be a person that encourages others, helps people to see God's hand at work in in life and in circumstances. I mean, when you do that, when you're treating people in that way, why, it's going to be such a blessing, not only to them, but even to you. So when you go to your job tomorrow, When you're engaged with your family, when you show up at that school tomorrow morning, let's go with this mindset to treat people the way we would like to be treated. You see, our love, our love may not be perfect, but I will tell you this, our love needs to be apparent. 
Our love may not be perfect, but it needs to be apparent. There is a broken world in need. We are the kingdom citizens. Christ has called us out of darkness to live in his light and to show his love. Are you going about your life with a life motivated by love? Are you? Because, friends, this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of God. You want a couple more Bible verses on that? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. Like Jesus says, in everything. A quarter century ago, there was a middle-aged pastor and author by the name of William Steiger. He was reflecting upon the developments in his life, and he realized that his love for learning and literature and story were all sourced in a teacher he had years ago, an English teacher. And he, you know, this is the woman that just kind of opened up story and how to learn this growth mindset. And he realized that this woman had an amazing impression and impact on his life, and he had never thanked her. So he decided that day he was going to write her a thank you note. And he actually ended up writing her a letter, thanking her specifically, and sent it to her, this handwritten letter of thanks. Well, a few days later, William actually got a reply in the mail. It was written when he opened it up in this shaky scroll lettering, and this is what it read. My dear Willie, I am now an old lady in my 80s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely and seemingly like the last leaf of fall left behind. You will be interested to know, Willie, that I taught school for 50 years, and in all that time, Yours is the first note of appreciation I ever received. It came on a blue, cold morning, and it cheered my lonely old heart as nothing has cheered me in many years. Friends, a Christ-centered life is a love-motivated life. I want you to think right now of some relationships that you're in How are you bringing love to these relationships? How do you need to be treating these people? How would you like to be treated? There's your answer. So you know how in 1 Corinthians 13, they give us this great description of love? I want you to know that that description is to be us as kingdom citizens, as followers of Jesus. And I'm going to read these familiar words, but when I read the word love... I want you to put your name there. 1 Corinthians 13. It says, Love, your name, you, are patient. Love, you, are kind. You're not jealous. You, love, it it does not brag, and it's not arrogant. You are not to act unbecomingly. Love doesn't seek its own. 
It's not provoked. It does not take in account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Friends, remember this. A Christ-centered life is a love-motivated life. This is what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. As Jesus said, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray.